Are you ready to take your leadership and your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate, evolve, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world. And you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. Today, we are joined by Mark Palmer and Warner Moore, and we're going to be talking about using assessments to hire and develop leaders. So, Mark, why don't you introduce yourself, and then we'll ask Warner to do the same thing. Excellent. Thanks, Maureen. I am Mark Palmer, co-founder and managing partner for Higher Direction, a talent intelligence solutions firm. I'm also an author, uh, inventor, advisor, and consultant. And Mark is the co-author on the Innovative Leadership Field Book and that book series. So Mark and I have effectively written nine award-winning books. So yes. Mark is part of the family. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome, Warner. Thank you. Uh, great to be here, Maureen. So uh, myself, I, I've been working with innovative technology companies and organizations most of my career. Highlights include uh, working with Two Checkout, where we created the payment space back in the late 90s, before the payment space existed. And then more recently, Cover My Meds, where we recently sold to McKesson for, oh, $1.1 billion. No big deal. <laughs> Most recently, I've been serving as Director of Information Security for an insurtech startup called Bold Penguin, working with them, building my fourth security program, and scaling the company. And so, Mark is the creator of the assessment we're going to talk about, and Warner is our highly effective leader who's going to tell us how he has used the assessment to give him information about things like building his LinkedIn profile, but also where he focuses his development efforts so that he's not wasting time on things that don't matter so much. Now, we're going to start the first segment talking about navigating the future of work, and that's part of why we talk about using these assessments. At least in my work doing leadership development, I use them to, well, for me to assess people I'm coaching and to figure out where to focus the development energy, but also, as Mark will give a lot more information on, help us identify where they best fit so, so that people aren't trying to change who they are, but they're trying to fit the gifts and talents and aspirations that they have into a role where they're going to excel rather than into a role that seems interesting but leaves them in a place where they're forced to develop in ways that may not be suited to their wiring. So let's start with the future of work, Mark. And I know a lot of people talk about this, but some of your stats are really interesting and important. Yes. The future of work. And everybody's, I think, by this time heard 
something about the future of work. Stuff's uh, changing. Stuff's changing. <laughs> Automation, gig AI. Economy, AI, right? All of that stuff. And actually, the future of work really is now. And it's just going, all of that stuff is just going to be increasing. You mentioned some stats, and uh, there are some staggering uh, stats in terms of proving out what exactly does that future of work look like. Here's one stat. The company lifespan, and there, there are several companies that have done this study. The company lifespan about 60 years ago, let's just say, let's say 1960, was about 67 years. So an average company had a lifespan of 67 years. Flash forward to 2010, and we're at about 10 years. The dramatic change. So the lifespan itself of, you know, company being around. And we know plenty of companies that were here uh, for a very long time and then almost overnight they're gone. And also let's look at jobs. 47% of current jobs, it's estimated, are going to be going away by 2050. So unpack that for us. What does it mean that jobs going away? Does that mean people will not have jobs or the composition of jobs will be different? It's a great question. And we've already seen this uh, in the last 30 or 40 years uh, in manufacturing, jobs that were very, very prominent in certain geographies and certain areas in this country uh, particularly began to get phased out. Jobs change. The rate of jobs are changing. Jobs that were once around are being replaced by automation, are being replaced by, you know, technology. Technology, generally speaking, is affecting the way that, that jobs are hanging around or not. On the other side of it, though, new jobs come up. So we have this trend of old jobs going away, new jobs coming up, and we expect that to accelerate more. And, and the fact is, we don't know what new jobs will come around. Things like data science weren't really a big thing 20 years ago, and now you know, universities offer those courses. So we'll see this trend increase. So I want to throw something in from a McKinsey study I read recently, and this is quoting from them, while we believe there will be enough work to go around barring extreme scenarios, society will need to grapple with significant workforce transitions and dislocations. Workers will need to acquire new skills and adapt to the increasingly capable machines alongside them in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So a lot of basic tasks, you know, we're used to that in in some sectors, like I go check myself out at the Lowe's. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we've replaced some, uh, the, uh, the people who hand out tickets at a toll booth. Right. A lot of that stuff's gone. What we haven't seen in the past is, but we're starting to see, is I, I can now have a tax program I put in a few numbers, That's and right. simple tax returns can be done now by a machine. Right. I don't need to go to H&R Block anymore. Yeah. And that will continue to accelerate when we have machine learning. And we already have it. Yes. Right? We've That's done right. interviews with people who, like James Brenza, who have created companies that do machine learning to solve a specific problem. Yes. He doesn't have robots walking around That's right. or, or cyborgs, but he does have technology that learns from its experiences like we as humans do. But if the technology has a lot more experiences than I do as a one person with distributed mm -hmm. learning, these machines can, can get good 
Yes. At specific tasks. And it means we have to get good at other things. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we have to get good at is managing change. Managing change is one of the big outcrops that we see coming in the future of work. Okay. And our ability to manage change. Think about it this way. We as professionals are going to have to make decisions and adapt quicker than any previous generation of other professionals. And that means not just changing the work, but changing ourselves. Changing ourselves, exactly. Absolutely. Not only changing ourselves, changing our skills, thinking about where an organization's going, where a field or a profession is going. Back at Cover My Meds, we were getting insights into all sorts of data in healthcare processing that organizations didn't have before that uh, allowed us to provide services and automate in ways organizations mm -hmm. didn't before because they were siloed. They didn't have that perspective across the industry. And if you look at innovative organizations, new organizations where a lot of venture capital or early stage funding is going to startups, you'll see a lot of those business models involve getting access to data, collecting data, and really applying it to solve problems that we haven't been solving with computers or AI before. And we're going to see not only exponential change, it's already here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to do as people? Yes. That's yes. one of the things I've wondered is how do I, as one human being running a company, keep pace with the volume of change? And if today's any example, it's not pretty. As it continues to accelerate, I can't keep doing what I've done. And for our listeners who don't know, I showed up late, frazzled, looking for coffee. <laughs> I'm drinking cold coffee. You know, we all struggle with this. Some days are better than others, mm -hmm. right? But each of us needs to to find ways to navigate the pace of change that will allow us to stay effective because as I get stressed my brain doesn't work as well and that is true for all of us yes and so the the call and the mandate is how do we personally and organizationally keep pace so that we don't drown yes and so I don't multitask while driving and kill somebody <laughs> I'm going to introduce a new term in response to that. <laughs> <laughs> Get ready, ladies and gentlemen. At Higher Direction, we look at precisely what you're both saying, and we have a term, a solution to what will professionals need. Professionals will need what we call occupational fitness. Occupational fitness is the ability to quickly and intelligently respond to professional situations in ways that are aligned to our strengths and values. We're going to have to be able to identify opportunities much quicker because of the pace of change. And we're also going to have to be able to communicate our strengths and skills in a way that we didn't have to before in multiple situations. So in and of itself, occupational fitness is a, is a new type of skill, a new competency that in this accelerated new world of work, we will need to have as professionals. So, Mark, tell us a little bit more about what what this is and how, what it looks like. Sure. So... 
this is important. A lot of people, I think as professionals, we have this perception that organizations have it figured out in terms of the work we do. But it, it's important to know that organizations struggle too. Everyone is struggling in the new world of work. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier about the life cycle of organizations. Uh, Warner mentioned some good information about new methodologies that, that companies are having to adopt. This startup culture is, is exploding. So organizations are in a transition as well. We all are in a transition. So more of the onus is being put on the professional. In this, though a challenge, is also an opportunity for professionals to better influence these opportunities. They can influence the way they have relationship to organizations. That's part of this occupational fitness. Uh, so it, now it's more of a partnership. It's more of being adept on your feet, being able to adapt, being able to be flexible. Uh, it's having uh, it's a shift in mindset, not just skill set. Uh, so it's it's changing the way that we relate with work altogether. Help uh, me. Yeah. How am I going to relate to work better? Because <laughs> I'm having a tough day. Well, you know, think about it like this. As a human being, we have these aspects of our experience. We, you mm-hmm. know, we have our, our physical experience. Mm-hmm. We have our relationships and relational experience and our professional experience. So, so think about that as three spheres of human experience. And think about it this way. How much time do all of us spend in professional endeavors? How much time do we spend at work? A week. Start to quantify that. Right? So our professional life, we have to keep an eye on that. We have to integrate that as part of our being. It used to be that it was a hard separation between what you did, nine to five. It was very, very structured, right? There wasn't a lot of change. So that really didn't demand that we had to relate to our professional lives differently. You know, we could sort of keep it steady state. But now we are finding because of the rate of change, we're grabbing hours when we can, we're working longer, professional life looks different. It's not just the nine to five. There are these other opportunities. So opportunities to work late at night yeah, on my smartphone. All that. All <laughs> that. So so we have to find ways to work smarter, but also integrate the work that we're doing. And and occupational fitness is about being able to create a sense of balance in terms of I'm going to do things from a professional's perspective that fit in line with what my strengths are. And part of what we'll talk about today is from an assessment standpoint, what are those strengths? How do I identify those strengths? And then when I do, what do I do with that? And this is different than strengths finder. Right, because as I hear the words, I go to the other assessments that have similar words, but I think what you're doing is very different. It is. Generally speaking, historically speaking, in human capital management, what we've done is to look at personality. Mm-hmm. Right, we look at personality and we try to determine from a character logical or trait perspective uh, we try to determine things like job fit or mm-hmm. putting teams together and so forth. We've done that for a very, very long time. And that's something like I'm an introvert, therefore I shouldn't have a sales job. That's correct. And yet, and I shouldn't have a sales job, by the way. But, <laughs> <laughs> but there are a lot of other things that introverts shouldn't do that I do because I own a company and I have to, and and I, I have developed the ability to do them well, in spite of preferring 
having the trait of introversion. Right. It's not a limiter. It just means I express myself differently in some more extroverted roles. That's right. And and I think for me at least that's where this assessment is interesting and helpful. That if I just got measured on a traditional uh, like a Myers-Briggs trait types, that assessment would exclude me from a bunch of things that I actually do and I think do relatively well. That's and right. think that's the huge differentiator for this. Yes. Definitely. And we're asking the question, is personality still the right metric? And we haven't really asked and explored that question. So a lot of this is about hyper change in technology, change in the world of work, but we haven't changed the way that we've done people science. Beautiful segue. So during break, I would love for people to think about what assessments have they taken and do they actively identify who you are and would that assessment be the best tool to help you identify your next job? And I, I don't want to minimize that personality assessments are very helpful in a lot of ways. What Mark's saying is, I believe, augmenting that with occupational assessments. How do I show up at work That's right. irrespective of my personality type? And we will get a break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. 
Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We are with Mark Palmer and Warner Moore talking about the position success indicator and the use of assessments overall. And one of the reasons that this was really important to me doing this specific show is I think people well-intended have used assessments in some cases in ways they are not intended and they cause harm. And so let me give an example of that. One of the women who actually helped write our book, the Innovative Leadership Field Book, I met her when she was, uh, her organization was piloting an assessment and they decided she was a hiring mistake. So I got a mm. call and... Uh, one of my colleagues called and said, hey, I've got this person working for me. She got this assessment, and she's pretty upset, uh, mm-hmm. as one would be when they were told they were a mistake. Sure. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, as her career is doing really well, and uh, then she hits this bump. And the reality was she is brilliant. The assessment was bad, mm-hmm. right? It was the wrong assessment for that use. She is developmentally more advanced so more of a complex thinker and an unconventional thinker and often yeah. conventional assessments weed those people out as broken that's right deviant defective whatever mm. you want to put to it rather than seeing them as the kind of people we want so that organization mm. was actually saying they wanted level five leaders she was pretty close to a level five leader and she was seen as a hiring mistake mm-hmm. so one it's more than unfortunate it's heartbreaking to see professionals who are amazingly talented weeded out and given the message that they're broken instead of seen as what we're aspiring to Mm, and for the company they're aspiring to this and they're actually firing the people Mm. who are trying to move them in that direction so on both sides it's a loss for the the person who now becomes disenfranchised and more than just in that organization has been given a message that they're broken Mm -hmm. and for the organization they're rejecting people that would add significant value to accomplishing their mission and so Mark and I have studied the same constructs, uh, him probably much more than me, and he has built in the developmental framework, not explicitly, but his assessment does not throw people out who are unconventional in their thinking. That's right. Now, you may throw out psychopaths. I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) you're not testing for the average you're really testing for capability. So can you expand on that? Because I shouldn't be telling people what you do. You should. No, no. It's, it's a beautiful segue into talk about this. One of the things, and I pointed this out in the last segment, the challenges that we have is that human capital management, HR, people, sciences, as it pertains to organizations, has not changed in about 70 years. And yet, on the other end of it, technology, the biological sciences, the material sciences, uh, our system sciences is changing rapidly. So this delta is growing. So this presents us with a dilemma and, from our perspective, an opportunity. We look at how can we start to approach the human sciences as it pertains to organizations differently? How can we ask better questions? Is personality the right thing that we should be measuring? What other things should we be measuring? So we start there. 
I like to say that from a science perspective, fields get better when they learn from other fields. So what has the biological sciences done? What has the material sciences done in the last 20, 30, 40 years that from a human science standpoint, when it comes to organizations, we have not done? And certainly for us, when we looked specifically at what else can we measure, what other data point can we tie to people's capabilities as it pertains to organizations? We looked at the human sciences and said, Look at what they're doing in DNA testing, for example. Look at companies like 23andMe, like Ancestry, and a host of others filling out the human genome from a biological perspective, coupling that with technology. We've created different ways to map out people to family of origin, looking at health markers, uh, looking at disease prevention. There's all sorts of things that we can gain from that. What if we took a similar approach and we use that in the organizational sciences to create a data-driven metric that's not personality, it's something else. So the something else that we started to look at was more something akin to performance style. And what, let me give you an example of that. What I mean by performance style is something that you see in athletics, you see it in music, you see it in dance, where there is stylistically but also patternistically a way that people perform. So it's a way of looking at, at things from a pattern perspective in terms of, because we want something that we can measure. Eventually we want something to measure. You can't improve what you can't measure. This is one of the challenges of personality assessments. We want to have something where we can create measurable baselines. So we look at something like sports, we look at something like music, and Take somebody in football, for example, American football, like Tom Brady. Tom Brady has a certain patternistic signature when it comes to playing the position of quarterback. Tom Brady makes four reads down the field, reads defenses in a context-dependent way. That fits with a certain schema, Bill Belichick's schema. Uh, if we take music, for example, there's jazz, which is very improvisational, and it takes improvisational signatures or performance styles to do that. Conversely, on the other end, uh, you know, looking at, you know, uh, Baroque symphony music, uh, you take someone like Alison Barstrom, who who uh, is a trumpet player, uh, very, very accomplished trumpet player in, in and she has a signature that fits, you know, uh, Haydn's concerto for trumpet, E-flat, something like that. So it's, it's performance and patternistic in that way. So let me jump in and, and test my understanding. So when I look at the leadership pattern DNA, yes. I would look for things like how able is someone to adapt, so that improvisational versus structured. So if I look at the tasks someone performs, there's highly structured and highly improvisational. And while a leader can do all, they probably have their center of gravity in one place. That's right. That is correct. And here's something very interesting about that. Now we get out of a testing mentality of saying, this one's wrong, this one's right. Mm -hmm. One side isn't right or wrong anymore. Now we have... There's relative right, and that's what we're focused on. So mm -hmm. someone in some situations, in certain leadership situations, demand improvisational leadership, and someone with an improvisational performance style or performance patterns is going to be a better fit. 
But on the other end of things, where we need more linear, more structure, someone that has a more structured and more organized pattern is going to be a better fit there. Mm-hmm. And so the improvisational signature is not a good fit for that. So now you have this relativity. So it's approaching it differently. So in the past, when we look at these things and assessments, there's a right way and a wrong way. But what we're saying now is there are multiple rights, but which is right for which situation? So everybody has a fit at the table. It's now about finding what is my signature and how does that fit the world of work? Where do I need to be going? So if I look at someone like Warner who's worked in multiple startups, he probably has a signature that fits a startup because he's been successful in several of them. Yes, yes. And that would be my assumption. And we've had the privilege of Warner actually taking the assessment and I look forward to his thoughts. But, you know, just knowing what I know, seeing his results, having conversation with him, it feels like a natural fit. And the data shows us that. I was going to say, you've seen hundreds or thousands of these, so you can probably relatively quickly take a look at it and say, one, that the profile matches, the the numbers on a page seem consistent with the person that's sitting in front of me, seem consistent with the role of technology leader in a startup. That's right. That's right. One of the other interesting things that's come out of this type of research that that really helps us is that what we think we've discovered is the blueprint of the world of work, a talent genome. Mm -hmm. So we actually call what we do talent DNA testing. So say more about that. So talent, human genome, there are how many genes and we map them and then I can my DNA gets assessed against that big map. Exactly. Sorry, that wasn't (laughs) scientifically correct. Big. (laughs) Big. So again, we're learning from other systems. We're learning what Mm -hmm. what have other Mm -hmm. sciences done. What we've discovered in the research is that there are consistent patterns between what organizations need at a very Mm -hmm. high level, the job requirements that they develop to serve those needs, and people's operational strengths. There's a relationship there. That relationship is how we created the talent genome. Mm -hmm. So with this talent genome, this talent genome really helps us understand how all roles are designed. It's the DNA of roles, but it's also the DNA of our work styles, of our performance patterns. And we're going to also offer you a link at the end of the interview so that you can take this yourself and kind of follow along with what does this look like? Because it, conceptually, it's really cool, but it's even more cool if you're sitting here looking at your map. That's right. That's right. This is, a, so like I said, this is a very different way of looking at organizational realities, how we design jobs, and it really changes the face of things. So from a people science perspective, we're always framing things in terms of personality. But what we're saying here is, let's look at a different data point. Let's look from an operational perspective in terms of how people do the things that they do. What are the performance patterns they use? How do those fit job requirements? And then how do those fit the organization's needs? And that way, we're trying to create a more uniform, data-driven way 
to be able to determine how people fit jobs, how they fit together in teams from a functional perspective. It can even complement more of the characterological or trait or personality assessments, which really focus more on chemistry, on likability and chemistry and how people see things from a more personal perspective and mm-hmm. subjective perspective. What we wanted to do is to say, how do people work in ways stylistically from a pattern perspective that will fit the work and also fit each other and complement each other? So let me give, because those I, those words may mean different things to different people. Sure. So let me give a couple examples. So under the roles, we have open-ended as the most complex then flexible, then structured, then fixed. So some people prefer fixed, like you talked about with music. I am performing something that has been performed millions of times, a a Mozart piece. That's right. And that's fixed. There is a way to perform that right. On the open-ended, that's more improvisational. I performed with a woman's African drumming group. There was a lot of improvisation, but there was also fixed. If you didn't have the bass beat properly you couldn't improv because mm-hmm. then you weren't playing that piece of music that's that's correct and that's actually how musicians in some instances actually in most instances determine who's a good fit for their piece miles davis for example was brilliant at reinventing the type of music that he did every couple of years so if i take an mm-hmm. album like kind of blue you know, he looked for incredibly improvisational players, but he also looked for somebody like pianist Bill Evans, who could be in the background and sort of keep time mm-hmm. and said, Bill will complement that warm, keeping time, more structured sound will complement the pure improvisation that I'm bringing, that Coltrane's bringing, that Adderley is, is bringing on saxophone. And so it's, it's that kind of synergy working together. Well, and one of the things as I listen to you that seems really important is we don't want everyone to be improvisational. In an organization, we need all roles. Absolutely. And again, having performed in a drum circle, if somebody's (laughs) not keeping beat, it's painful. I mean, it sounds bad. Yeah. Right. And in an organization, if we don't have the same, someone's keeping beat and making sure that the the heat comes on in the morning, the doors are unlocked, the basic stuff. You don't stay in business if the basic stuff's not done. Nobody gets to improvise if you're not still in business. Bills sent out, collections made. There are a lot of roles that need to be attended to that are fixed and structured so that a few people get to improvise. That's right. And this type of way of looking at the world of work gives us a blueprint to identify where we may have gaps in our teams, what we're trying to hire in terms of a functional role. It gives us a baseline to better understand we have to fulfill everything. Where are we today from a current state standpoint? Where do we need to get better? And so I've taken it. I loved it. And then the question is, once I have my blueprint, I'm going to be bouncing that across or against what an organization's done to see if I fit there. That's right. So it's cool to know what you are from a test 
perspective because I love that stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> but yeah. if you're going to pay for an assessment, you got to know what you're going to do right. with it. So in this case, we've used it to, in an IT leaders program, we have an avatar of what we think the top few more improvisational CIOs would look like. And then everyone in the class can take it. But again, not everyone in the class wants to be an improvisational CIO, nor should they be. That's For right. some people, they're working in organizations, and let me say some of the state agencies as an example. That's right. Or in a role, that maybe in financial services, mm-hmm. where they have a much more structured SEC reporting role. I don't get to improvise with SEC reporting. Right. They kind of have rules about how it's done, and right. if I don't do it that way, I look like a felon, maybe. So, sure. <laughs> uh, yes. again, I... Having done assessments, I know people get really excited about, I want to be in the top box. That means I'm better. It doesn't mean I'm better. It means I'll be a better academic. Yes, but, but exactly. <laughs> or, or I That's might right. be a good felon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's right. all about fit it's a for role. For everyone. <laughs> yes, yes. Jail. Yes. Anyway, Warner and Naylor, it's a place for everyone. It's about understanding our lane. Yeah. Where do we fit? We are identifying what's my lane, and then mm-hmm. how can I bring value? And we'll talk more about that uh, give Warner a chance to talk about his experience with it. But as we talk about that, it's about understanding my lane, being able to identify that, and then saying, okay, how do I communicate that? So how do I communicate it? And if I want to be in a different lane, one, should I <laughs> Am I? If I want to be a gymnast, it really doesn't matter what I want. Yeah, I will right. never be that. That's right. So, so one is testing against what's a reasonable expectation, and then how do I get there? That's right. Right. So if I'm completely fixed and I want to be improvisational, if I'm performing in a drumming group, I better darn well practice a lot. If I'm in a work setting, what do I need to do to move from fixed to improvisational? It also requires a lot of different skills and maybe different mindset. And we'll talk a little bit more of that in the next segment. Okay, so on that note, as Mark is telling me to be quiet, um, as you're thinking during uh, break, again, how might you use an assessment like this to help you see what your next step is professionally? We will be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Metcalf & Associates is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and business. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, Metcalf & Associates has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the perpetual capacity to identify and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. Metcalf & Associates offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com today. 
Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. We are with Warner Moore and Mark Palmer, and we are talking about the Position Success Indicator. Position Success Indicator. You have such a good radio voice. I, I try. I mean, I'm, you know. I missed my calling. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned before uh, some very interesting things before the break. I mentioned knowing our lane, mm-hmm. being able to identify where we fit. It's interesting. Philosophically, we've always had the people sciences about trying to fix our weaknesses. Mm-hmm. But philosophically, I'm of the mind of doubling down on your strengths. Mm-hmm. Figure out where you can leverage strength and put your focus there. Because from this approach, it's not about strengths or weaknesses per se. It's about what are my focus points? Where do I show natural expression in this structured to unstructured type of spectrum that we find in work in terms of job requirements and organization needs? Where do I fit in that continuum? How can I communicate where I fit in certain situations and interviews and networking, uh, you know, in all sorts of situations, how do I identify opportunities that have that fit? And then also, if I know that blueprint, if I know that map, not only can I see where I fit, I can also see where others fit. I can complement my focus points, my strengths. So it's a different way of looking at strengths. And so that means also if I'm on a team and I have, say I'm flexible and I need someone who's more fixed, someone who makes sure we get stuff, the the foundational stuff done. Like I have a brilliant bookkeeper because I am terrible at that. That's right. And and to echo Warner, that's why you said everybody has a place. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a place. So rather than us all trying to be aspirationally something else, it's doubling down and being more concentrated and refining our alignment with what we are. We are what we are in a sense. And of course, there's, there's some level of plasticity. We all adapt to situations. But at the core of it, if I'm a creative artist type, I'm very improvisational naturally. Mm-hmm. Most mm-hmm. are. And so that's how I view the world. That's how I make meaning. That's how I construct what, what I value. So that aspect of it is, is fairly static. I need to double down on that. Mm-hmm. I need to partner with others that have these more structured capabilities. Because here's the thing. Even in the future of work, organizations are always going to need four essential things. They're going to need vision. They're going to need strategy and planning. They're going to need 
implementation and technical problem solving. And they're going to need maintenance and support. Those aren't going away. Okay. And it happens that all of us fit in one of those lanes primarily. And, and we'll show expression in the other lanes too. We're all sort of a mixture of those things, but we have focus points in those. And those aren't going away. So we don't all need to be creative. We don't all need to be improvisational. We need to understand our lane and then forge ahead to be able to identify areas where that lane has needs. So it's a very, very different way. Instead of saying, I need to be aspirationally this and work on my weaknesses, it's saying, this is what I am. How can I double down on that and leverage that? And then along the journey, partner with people who complement what I do to make a more synergistic force. And that's, again, where we have the the job fit side. That's right. So if I'm running a company, which I am, if I'm looking for a partner, I would do fill out the company side of this to see who would compliment me, not who looks like me. That's right. Who has my DNA from an operational standpoint? Who has my DNA? Who has complementary DNA? So if I'm looking for somebody for succession, I'm looking for somebody that thinks mm-hmm. a lot like me. Mm-hmm. If I'm looking for somebody, it's like, look, I focus in these areas, but these other areas along, you know, that's not what I do. I get diminishing returns when I do that. It's not even mm-hmm. that I can't do them. It's that I experience diminishing returns. I'm out of alignment. All of us have an alignment zone. So to say more about the alignment zone, and then we need to talk to Warner about his results. Yes, and this is good because Warner can tell us about his alignment and how this helper spoke to that. But just a brief word about alignment. Alignment is where we experience a state of professional flow. A lot of times organizations say things like, we want a learning culture. We want people to be curious. We want resilience. Of course. Those are outcomes. They're outcomes of when we are in alignment we experience curiosity. We have a desire to learn. We tend to be more resilient because we are in concert with requirements and duties and tasks in ways of participating in teams mm-hmm. and in roles that are in concert, that are synergistic and complement our strengths. Okay. So I'll turn to Warner because he did take the assessment and I'd like to hear a little bit uh, from his perspective. Thanks so much, Mark. It's interesting talking about personality assessments versus PSI. I know all about personality assessments. I, like many of us, <laughs> we've done them throughout our career. Myers Briggs. I'm ENTJ. Nice, and, nice. And when I first took PSI, that's the perspective I, I was coming from, thinking about it from a personality perspective. Eventually, it really clicked and that this tool provides words and ways to describe the value that I, that we bring to an organization. Something, and this was a long-earned skill where it took me a while to learn how to talk about the value I bring to an organization. If you leave the healthcare industry, everyone thinks you're a healthcare person. (laughs) <laughs> or if you leave the insurance industry, you're an insurance person. Well, it, it's the same way uh, when it comes to personality. You might be an introvert, uh, so people think mm-hmm. you can't speak. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the best people wish I wouldn't speak. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the best public speakers I, I've known are introverts. 
So when I talk to the value I, I bring to an organization, I, I speak to my values in a way that it communicates to the audience. And that's something that really resonated with me once I understood that aspect of PSI. It really gives words to describe things I bring to an organization, but more from a skill perspective. I value people, so I talk about people and culture, because those are things organizations need. Or I'm great at governance, risk, and compliance. I, I've delivered and been successful in that area professionally. Yet I speak to how I align to innovative tech companies, because mm -hmm. that's my values. Those are my skills. Well, I can do one thing. It may not be the skill that I consider innate. So when I, I got the results back from PSI, and I, I was reading the way it described some of my skills, one of the first things I did was go to LinkedIn and started thinking about the PSI results and comparing to the words I, I was using mm -hmm. to describe the skills I bring to an organization and looking for ways to adjust and tweak and communicate them differently. So what changed? Because you're articulate and insightful, so for someone who, who knows themselves and can talk about themselves already, it sounds like this was still helpful. It was. Uh, so, uh, for example, uh, one of the things in the report, it, it came back talking about how I'm best with multiple roles to manage complex initiatives. Mm -hmm. And that, that was interesting to me because personally I might have used slightly different words, but mm -hmm. I, that really resonated with me. Looking at the things I'm communicating and considering whether or not I'm communicating it that way, because it might speak more to a role or a, a job or a responsibility within an organization. Mm -hmm. yeah. One of the things we talked about for those of us who are introverted and don't always love going into networking events and talking about ourselves, how would you use the results of PSI in a networking context? This is a great opportunity to talk about one of the challenges of assessments traditionally is that you get the results and you don't know what to do with them, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. I got my stuff and it's like, okay, next. Okay. Yeah, maybe, okay, that's accurate. So what? Part of this is answering the so what. So what Warner's saying is very valuable in that now that I have the results and we there's a, you know, you take the assessment and once you take the assessment, you do get a free output. You get what we call a professional summary uh, statement. And it's basically a paragraph describing you in operational language. And again, part of this is giving you language. It's really the language of organizations. It's how organizations talk to decide how a person would fit in a particular role. So first things first is giving you that language. But part of this, to be able to network, to do things like network, to do things like job search, to do things like interview effectively, part of that is getting the right language. I'll back up a bit and I'll summarize this in just really two key things. The first thing is having the ability to identify opportunities that match me. So I figure out what my lane is. Then once I do that, I have a framework to figure out where I fit. The second thing to that is now that I know where I fit and I'm able to identify opportunities and say, yep, that's me. I have to communicate that. 
And networking is one of those pillars. Job search is a pillar. Interviewing is a pillar. But it's one of those job cycle pillars where we have to talk about ourselves, something we all struggle with. How should I talk about myself? The context is too big. Should I talk about my personal life? But let's use fit language. So instead of networking, what we're really doing is fit working right we're able to say this is me from an operational strengths perspective this is where i'm a good fit inside an organization this is where i fit where organization needs these are the type of requirements and tasks that i do it gives me a different way to really communicate something that people can do something with it's actionable language so that is is really the gist of this and then okay what else can i do with that so we give you language. And specifically, and Warner mentioned this earlier, his LinkedIn summary. So we give you language. We have a plan called the professional success plan. Once you get the free output, you have the ability to pay for a couple plans. And then that allows you to get some of this language. We have things like me as a job description. We have these various pieces of the professional success plan that give you the exact things to say on a resume to get that offer winning resume, to get, uh, you know, to have the 30 second pitch that you need for networking. So as we wrap up, can you give us the URL? Because we are coming to a close. How would someone find the assessment? www.hire-direction.com dot com slash assessment and you said for individuals you can take the assessment and get a free output what is the paid output yes the the assessment's free uh the paid output right now we're really trying to drive uh and collect as many genomes as possible it's 25 bucks for the professional success plan we also have an interview success plan based off of your talent dna uh to tell you how to approach an interview manage the relationship the interview what to say all based off of your talent dna 25 dollars as well oh wow okay so inexpensive it doesn't require a certified coach like me the reports give enough information that people can figure out how to use them that's right we're really focusing on giving you concrete stuff and those plans will change over time we will offer a guide that says this is how you use the plan Mm -hmm. it's more of a reference guide the plan isn't a cover to cover book it's go to this section if you want to know how to improve a resume go to this section if you want to beef up your LinkedIn Uh, so it's that concrete approach of giving people very good stuff Fabulous. Thank you both. You have been listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Mark Palmer from Higher Directions, PSI Assessment, and Warner Moore from... Bold Penguin. Bold Penguin. That's right. You can tell it's a startup. We have the domain name. (laughs) I love it. As our listeners, please give us feedback. Either email me info at metcalf-associates.com new url to be coming and on facebook innovative leaders driving thriving organizations we really appreciate your feedback and and you as our listeners do shape what we talk about next hope you are tuning in to us again soon Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then. Drive and thrive and have a great week.